what does money mean to you? You know, um, uh, and and it's some people say money's the root of all evil. Money is power. Money is um, exchange. Money is our values. Money is fuel. Like people come up with all sorts of things. And that gives me and you information on, you know, what are your money beliefs and what is your money story and how has it been shaped? And, um, but money is a relationship for me that, you know, is positive and negative, can be good and bad, or, you know, it's, it's how we work with it. I believe that what we do as women in the privacy of our own minds is the single greatest determinant of our lives. I'm Emma Title, and you are listening to the Women Today podcast, where we are unpacking and investigating the new female psychology. I am a psychotherapist, coach, and teacher who is passionate about women's internal and external freedoms. You are in the right place if you want to hear in-depth stories about women's lives. On this show, we dig deep into the minds and hearts of women to understand what it really takes to heal, to grow, and to experience psychological freedom so that we can create lives of authenticity, fulfillment, and contribution. This is a place to receive nourishment, inspiration, and guidance as we continue to show up for the complexity and nuance of our lives as women. I'm so glad that you're here, and let's get started with today's episode. Hi, and welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the podcast. I'm so excited to be continuing the conversation around women and money with you all. So before I introduce today's guest, I just want to drop a quick reminder that if you go to Apple and leave a reading and review this month, I would love to send you a gift in the mail as an expression of my gratitude. The reviews and the ratings mean so much, not only to me, but also to the women who are looking to find these types of interviews and conversations. So if you go ahead and leave the rating and review and snap a quick picture and email it to emma at emmatitle.com along with your mailing address, I would love to put some of my favorite women and money books in the mail as a gift to you. Thank you so much in advance. All right, so today's guest is Barry Tesler Linden, and Barry is a financial therapist and the founder of The Art of Money. The Art of Money is a year-long money school which integrates money healing, money practices, and money maps, which you'll hear about in today's interview. Barry's methodology weaves together personal, couple, and creative entrepreneurial money teachings into one complete tapestry. And every year, over 500 students from around the globe go through the year-long Art of Money program. If you are someone who's interested in checking out the Art of Money, all of the links about the information will be in the show notes for this episode. And I highly recommend that you do look into it if you're someone who's interested in improving your relationship with money, getting more empowered, or simply more conscious around what is going on in your money life. Barry's work has been featured on Oprah.com, Inc.com, Reuters Money, USA Today, The Cut, Girl Boss, Nerd Wallet, The Simple Dollar, Real Simple, and Red Book Magazine. 
She has also been featured on the cover of Experience Life Magazine and Mindful Magazine. Barry is the author of The Art of Money, A Life-Changing Guide to Financial Happiness, which was published by Parallax Press in 2016. Barry lives with her husband and son and her many cats in Boulder. And on a personal note, I just want to say that Barry is a huge role model and inspiration for me on so many levels. She is an incredibly savvy and successful and smart entrepreneur. She is somebody who's really connected to herself and emotionally aware and present. She is somebody who really asks the deep questions and who conducts herself, her life and her business with a tremendous amount of integrity, compassion and values-based orientation. So this is a conversation where Barry shares a lot about her personal journey as a creative entrepreneur, as a human, and as somebody who has been evolving and adapting with every decade of her life. This is a conversation about money, about the relationship to money, and about all of the things that that can entail throughout the human life cycle. You will get so many nuggets, both from Barry's teachings, but also just from the way that she embodies and holds herself and the way that she shares about her own relationship to money. So this conversation was a huge inspiration and source of insight and a lot of ahas for me. And I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. Welcome, Barry. I'm so happy to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for having me, Emma. I've been really looking forward to this. Me too. I've been just kind of chomping at the bit and so honored that you said yes. And I just know you have so many wonderful things to share with our listeners today in this month about women and money. So thanks for being here. So I wanted to start out today, uh, as I often do, in a more personal fashion. And, you know, the listeners got to hear all about your professional background and work in the intro. And I wanted to just ask you, given that you're trained as a somatic therapist and you were really in the mental health world, how did you come to care so deeply about money? So I never imagined that money would be my topic, you know, or my theme or my doorway. Um, In my 20s, when I was at Naropa, and I I brought myself there at the age of 24, and I was the baby of the group, and was there from 24 to 28 years old, right? And so steeped in the training, you know, of becoming a somatic therapist. And I was working, as you said, in the mental health field. I was doing hospice work, both from the bereavement side, doing overnight care, leading authentic movement groups. So my topics were intimacy, relationships, sexuality, sensuality, body, food, grief, and death. And I thought that was the terrain that I'd be working on. And that's what really thrilled me and excited me um, and what I was really interested in. And never thought about money. (laughs) You know, (laughs) my bank statements came in the mail and I would throw them out because what do you do with them? Or, you know, yeah, what, what is that? And it wasn't until my student loan came due 
at the end of, you know, I was at the age of 28. So I took longer to finish that program. I needed more time to develop in myself, to do my own work. Um, I also needed that thesis for me was 150 pages and leading groups. And, you know, it was, it was pretty rigorous in the somatic psychology department. And so I took a year off or two to make some money, you know, because I, I needed to I needed to make some money yeah. during that time. And then I had to take a three month sabbatical to actually finish that thesis. So, so then my student loan comes due and it was just a huge moment for me, a come to reckoning moment for me of what the heck is my relationship to money? I mean, the first thing was, how am I going to pay this back? You know, I have a master's degree and I'm making $11 an hour in the mental health field as a counselor, social worker. H how does that work? You know, that was number one. And then number two, as I look back at my training at Naropa, and I just was shocked to see that there was no training about how to have a relationship to money. Um, you know, from the, how do you start your private practice and do your bookkeeping, you know, and build clients and how much do you charge to, what is your relationship to money? You know, what is your own money story? Um, and then how do you work with couples around money? You know, if money is the number one reason that people get divorced, you know, it's the surface reason, right? It's, yeah. Um, and we never, you know, had a course. We never had any training on that entire terrain. So, you know, that all came to the surface when my student loan came due. And it was, it was also, I, I mean, I had flashes of like those, all of that. And then I also thought, oh, I'm the only one. Um, I had some money shame pretty quickly. And, oh, I'm the only one with these money issues, or I'm the only one who did not learn about money. And I'm the only one, you know, of, you know, and then I so quickly looked around and even there I could see um, half of the students um, we took out student loans, you know, to get ourselves through. The other half had it paid for from their family because they came from wealthy families or they had inherited money. That was never talked about. You know, it was just, and 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 I also quickly got to see that really we all have money issues or, you know, we all have money strengths and challenges. And no matter what family background we came from, this was a missing piece. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for speaking to all of this. Cause as you know, I'm trained as a therapist as well. And it was such a missing piece. It was just a huge gap. Um, it's a huge shadow. I feel like actually of the training and to sort of omit the money conversation from mental health and wellness and relationships. It's just, it's a huge disservice, which is why I love your work so much. And, you know, so it came out of that it was such a missing piece, you know, in our training as we were becoming therapists. But it was bigger than that. It, you know, it was a missing piece. There was nothing in my undergrad. Is that you know, I was getting my history degree, um, one accounting class in high school. You know, that information kind of went in and out. And then we have our families. You know, what are we learning from our families of origin? So there's there there's that whole conversation as well. But in that moment, it, it became so clear that financial literacy was left out of everything, but also pretty clear, pretty quickly, 
I got to see emotional literacy, you know, is also left out. And that's why at the age of 24, I went to Naropa to do that somatic training because I needed it so badly. Um, I had tried talk therapy, you know, earlier in my teens and that was okay, but it didn't fully, you know, cut it or, you know, and so, you know, right from the beginning, I realized this is a huge missing piece, not just for me, but for everyone that I know. Um, I need to do my own money work. And I started with bookkeeping and we can talk about that, you know, why that was first stop. And I had a bookkeeping business for a few years before I started my financial therapy work, you know, Um, and I knew really early on, I didn't have the language for it, but that if I was going to create a money methodology, which I felt I was, I felt I was being asked to do my own work. And then I also felt I was being called to create some kind of methodology because it was such a missing piece. And that if I was going to, it had to include financial literacy and emotional literacy, and it had to bring all the mindfulness practices that I was living in every other area of my life to our relationship to money. And so that's that's a little bit of an introduction of how I even stumbled into um, the topic and theme of money. It surprised the hell out of me. You know, I thought I was going to be working on all those other topics, but I can work on all those other topics and themes through the doorway of money. And money touches on all of that, all of those things that we mentioned earlier, grief and death and intimacy and food and body and, you know, even livelihood and value. And it touches on all the deeper stuff. And it just happens to be through, um, yeah, through this lens. Oh, I love this all so much, Barry. And it's, Thank you for naming these pieces around, I love the frame of the doorway, money as the doorway and how it touches on all these other pieces. Because I think for me, that's how I've fallen in love with money and the money conversation is because I've started to see how it infiltrates every other area of my life, but I'm not someone who liked the numbers or who liked the spreadsheets or who felt really good at managing money or any of those things. It was, it was when I started to see it as inseparable from the social, emotional, human, relational realms. Yes. And the other piece though, is that where it does get so practical, um, is that in my late twenties too, you know, making $11 an hour, you know, I I started really questioning. So we'll get back to everything that we were just talking about, right? Yes. The the deeper themes that money touches on, right? We'll go to that. Um, But the very practical is that in those moments where I was making $11 an hour, and then I would go to ask for a raise, once I got the master's and then I didn't have enough points, whatever that meant, you know, to get more than $11 and 20 cents. And I just remember thinking, wow, either I'm going to become an activist um, in the social work counselor community, and I'm going to rally and I'm going to get, we're going to get paid more. You know, we're yeah. Our work and our service paid more and valued more in the larger world, you know, I had a moment of that. And then I quickly realized, I don't think that's my path. But that was, you know, that was a consideration. 
And then quit the other the other path was I mean, there are many others, but one other path was um, at the time I had asked if I wanted to do five hours in a quiet back room. Now I was in the milieu 40 hours, you know, a week. And so with the community, you know, with the folks um, in the mental health center that I was working for. And so I was offered five hours of quiet time, you know, in a back room, learning um, Quicken and Excel and and doing the bookkeeping for the program that I was working for. I don't know how I was offered that. You know? Wow. And and I don't know how I said yes, because everything in me was like, I don't know how to do that. You know, I'm, I grew up being a, not great at math, you know, so I equated that with if I'm not good at math, I'm not good with money. And I certainly can't learn a bookkeeping system. So, but somehow when I was offered this five hours learning these bookkeeping systems, I had a voice saying, say yes, just do it, you know, and I, you know, took me of quite a few months of some handholding um, and I learned Quicken and I learned Excel and it blew my mind, you know, and so during that time, when I got turned down for the, my little raise, I was, I had already been learning some of these bookkeeping systems. And then I started realizing I have new questions. I need to break through a money ceiling here. You know, how am I going to do it? So I started asking livelihood questions mm-hmm. that were tied into our training as well, you know, because we never talked about money at all. There was definitely in the culture you're not supposed to talk about money and you're not supposed to want money or strive for money. You're just supposed to do your good work in the world. And then somehow you're going to be compensated, you know, as though we're all living on an ashram and it's all going to work out, you know, and we're not, you know, I, and so I was starting to ask a lot of livelihood questions of how can I do my good work in the world um, and get paid well, like what a concept, you know, and So that's when these very practical questions started coming up of, I have a money ceiling and we all have money ceilings, you know, whether it's what we're making hourly or what we're bringing in for the month or what we're bringing in every few months or for the year, you know, Um, and I can talk about that more. But that became one of my, I like asking new questions and challenging money riddle moments. And it was, how do I break through this money ceiling? And how I answered that was I left the mental health field and took a job in an accounting department of an organic bakery. (laughs) And I thought I'd be there for a few months, but I wound up being there for two years. And they offered me 13 an hour and then bumped me up to 15. And then someone started teaching me QuickBooks and said, I'll, you know, I'll train you how to do my books and I'll pay you 20 an hour. And then I'll bump you up to 25 once you know, and you know, it just, so that wow. detour for me. And I, I know that everyone around me was like, what the heck is she doing? But I had all those inner voices of just follow the, you know, me chocolate crumbs, <laughs> follow, yes. the, follow the crumb, chocolate crumbs, and this will lead you somewhere. And that's how I broke through some money ceilings and started making more um, at that time. And, you know, led me more into the work that I'm doing. I I have so much excitement and chills around so many things that you're saying. But first of all, I just want to like thank you and celebrate you for your 
just that fire of like the mental health field deserves to be paid more. And like that part of you that wanted to become an activist of like, this is not okay. People doing hard work, good work, caring for sometimes some of the most vulnerable populations and not being financially compensated. It just, it's heartbreaking and it's infuriating to me. And then I also want to highlight you making the bold choice to step out of that field. Of course, you've integrated it now, but and to listen to your inner voices, it just feels like there was so much divine intervention and also you being really receptive and trusting yourself. Yeah. And those, you know, how I learned how to do that happened at Naropa. Yeah. Somatic training was learning how to listen to my body again, you know, my body mind, but remembering how to do that, learning how to listen to the messages or what are the, the sensations and impulses and emotions in my body in the moment and then following them. And and that came out of that training. You know, I, I, while we, we would, there was that huge missing piece, like I learned how to be a human mm. and how to take myself through, you know, really hard times. And then all these little transition moments of what to do next and, and, and really how to listen so deeply. Yeah. That makes me curious, Barry, to hear a little bit about, and I I know there's so much, so I know we can't go into all of it, but what kind of environment were you raised in when it came to money? Like what, where, where was your imprinting? And then you are here today. It's like, how has that journey looked with some flavors? Yeah. So um, I was raised in Chicago, middle-class family of entrepreneurs. And I always said my dad was an entrepreneur and I never gave my mom credit, but my mom was right there, you know, raising the kids and doing all the behind the scenes stuff. You know, it took me years to realize she was doing the QuickBooks she was doing the bookkeeping. Guess what? Her mom did bookkeeping. I, I didn't even know this until, you know, I started doing bookkeeping um, and learned that this was part of my lineage. And, and I never gave my mom full credit, you know, that she was because she is not a risk taker in that way. My dad was. So I always said he's the entrepreneur, but my mom's holding on the fort behind the scenes, you know, in the office. Um, so I grew up partially at the edge of the suburbs, but also in the city um, because my family, they owned a few buildings, managed some real estate. And then when my beloved uncles who lived in New York that I would go visit every year, um, they were, they were partners, um, my two uncles. So one was my, you know, biological uncle. And then one was his partner. They were, they were my uncles and they moved to Chicago. Um, in my teens and they opened up some of the first gay bars on Halstead Street. So my family was deeply involved in that. Okay. So that was part of, you know, my life, my culture, my uncles were, you know, they, they, they were, they are so meaningful to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wish that they were alive to meet my son. Um, So, okay. So grew up with entrepreneurs um, and, the strengths and challenges of my middle class upbringing was that there was a lot of generosity. If I wanted to 
get some new clothes, if I um, wanted to take dance classes, you know, there was always a yes for that. So there was a lot of generosity and there was certainly a lot of privilege um, in that. Um, the challenging side is that with my parents, especially my dad, there was a lot of um, control around money. It, it was, there was a lot of strings attached and there was a lot of um, money things that happened where there weren't clear boundaries or money conversations or limits or teachings, you know, you know, because they didn't have that. Right. Or my father had his own, you know, um, set of upbringing and money teachings that were not or were passed down. Right. So this is what really makes me me, you know, is that, yes, there's a lot of gifts and generosity and privilege. But the challenging part came, my father just sent me out one afternoon, you know, over the, said, go get a job over the weekend. I was 15 and, you know, go to apply to five jobs and then come back. But it was so aggressive and it was so intense. And and now I, I do see some benefit, like I can get out there, you know, and um, there's, there's, you need chutzpah and being entrepreneur, you know, but he, he just pushed me and there's never teachings on what do you like or what are you good at or what's your skill set or here's how you interview, you know, just get out there and interview and come back and you have to have a job by the weekend, you know, or there was, um, I, I'm going to jump to this other story because I think this really shows it. So my third year in college, I went to Europe, I went to Italy, like my God, what, what adventure, what privilege, what, you know, dream come true, you know? So I was in Italy um, and I called my parents one weekend on a payphone um, when we sent the payphones and I told them that I had just gone to France for the weekend with friends and my father got furious at me and decided to not send me money, mm. you know, indefinite amount of time. So again, no money conversations at the beginning. This is how much money you have as we're sending you on this amazing trip to Italy. This is how much you have to spend each month. This is your budget. These are your limits. You know, um, I had to send him like manual checkbook register photocopies in college every week. But again, no discussions on limit boundaries, what you can do. Um, and so I was left in Italy without any money or, you know, with like a tiny amount. I remember like the one sandwich that I could get every day that I, I heard and where I got that panita, that sandwich. So a lot happened from my relationship with my father and a lot of verbal sparring happened with him. I'm very similar. I can be intense, really intense. I can be feisty, even though my money work is so soft and gentle and loving and compassionate. And I took most of the tough love out of it because there's enough tough love with like all the older white guys doing money work. They're going to tell you exactly how to do it. You know, how, you know, how to pay down debt, never have debt. You know, it's so black and white. And that doesn't work for me at all because of my upbringing. I had such a tough love father. He, he can be very loving, but so tough love. There was so much control and power that I felt around money. And so I made so many choices and decisions out of that. Um, I'm going to do business in my own way, you know, according to my values. I don't like the way my father does business, you know. Um, he's more of an aggressive businessman. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm going to make my own money, even though I then chose a career that at first 
had nothing to do with money. You know, it was just my work. I, I knew that that was my calling. I knew that that was my work in the world, you know, so and and ignored money, you know, until the student loan came due. So picked that and, you know, found, created the livelihood, looked at that later. But so other decisions I made, I'm going to make my own money, even though I don't know how to do that, you know, um, and I'm never going to marry a man who has a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Or I'm going to, you know, I'm leaving Chicago and, you know, I'm moving to Boulder, Colorado. And and, and I just was like, I'm never going to marry. Now, I wound up marrying at the age of 35. Mm-hmm. And I wound up, you know, meeting and choosing a man where we were more equals on everything. And we grew together. And at the beginning, we were more hippies and, you know, lived in a, you know, a little, little shack um, in the Redwoods. It was 350 square feet, you know, and we loved it. And we're simply, and then we both together grew into our work in the world, grew our income, you know, created sustainable livelihoods together. So, I mean, so that's a little bit, you know, and then uh, just to complete that, you know, um, there was a lot, a lot of control and power and strings attached and not clear money messages. Right. And then generosity. So it was confusing as all hell. Right. Um, but that's pretty normal. So we, you know, and then that, you know, beliefs were created out of that decisions were made, past reformed. And then it wasn't until, you know, really my, and I had to cut ties with my father. Um, I mean, then we came back around but at the age of 23, he wanted me to go to Japan. I had been learning Japanese for a few summers so that when I sat at the sushi bar, I could order sushi in Japanese. <laughs> I but love knowing that. Amazing, you know. Um, but he, he had a whole grand plan of me going to teach English and learning Japanese more when I was there and coming home and then working in business with him. And um, at the last hour, I decided I'm not going to Japan. That's your plan, Dad. And I'm going to Israel to find out more about um, who I am, my Jewish lineage, and, you know, took a whole detour and and was in Israel for a year. Um, And that was a transition year. And that's also on one day when I was jogging on the kibbutz, I thought I made up dance movement therapy. Um, I, you know, was jogging. And one day I was like, I grew up dancing and I've been in therapy since I was a, you know, teenager and I'm really into psychology oh my God, I'm going to do dance therapy, you know, and then <laughs> to Jerusalem and learn that there's an, you know, there's a whole field. I didn't create anything and that Naropa University existed and had this somatic psychology program. And that's how I wound up there. But that break with my father and telling him no was huge for me to claim my own path um, and, and then start my own work. Um, and, you know, and then, um, having to do things my own way. But then, you know, at the age of 32, I found myself like becoming an entrepreneur, you know, and, and realizing what was I thinking trying to work for other people, really, you know, and I haven't worked for someone else since. And so I'm so much like my father, and I had to transmute so many things, so, so many gifts and challenges in that push-pull with him um, and that power. And I had to learn about um, my own power, which I don't love that word so much, but my own empowerment and, you know, my own empowered relationship um, to livelihood, entrepreneurship, um, money, 
and all of that. And so it's been a, li- a lifelong dance. And um, that's a little bit. And I don't even bring my mom in that story at all, even though her and I have beautiful money conversations. She's in her 70s every day. Yeah. Uh, so that's a little bit of, yeah. Thank you so much, Barry. And I, gosh, there's so many things I want to pull out here. I'll just do a few. But I think the first thing I want to reflect is how beautiful, how much integration and healing work you've done. It's palpable to me and hearing these little vignettes and your ability to talk about, you know, the graces, the benefits, the challenges. And I'm just hoping that for anybody listening, that they're able to see like how deep each one of our money stories runs and, and how much benefit there is in bringing consciousness. Cause it's like, I don't imagine you would have you would have the level of success or capacity that you have now if you hadn't unpacked all of these things, the relationships, the experiences, your history, where you come from. Yes, but I'll say one important point um, about that is that this is a lifelong journey. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't mean in my 20s when I started doing this money work, I impacted it all and yeah. figured it out and tied it up in a nice bow. And then I was done with my money story, you know, mm-hmm. full clarity, you know, that's not it at all. I'm still learning things. You know, every year we are, every year we're fine tuning, we're updating, we're learning new things, you know. And when I was writing my book, um, this is now seven years ago, six or seven years ago, the chapter, it's about money and it's not about money, surprised all of us. Surprised, It wasn't part of the original table of contents. And it's about money. Again, we weren't given a full, complete financial education from grade school on up. So there's lots of practical things to learn. But then there's all the, it's not about money because there's all these deeper themes. Um, you know, value, responsibility, enoughness, power, you know. And it was in, in writing that chapter that I got even more clarity on the theme of power and how that had been the thread running through my childhood um, with my father and the part of my money story that was most challenging uh, was power over, power under, and trying to, you know, find a right relationship to that. So I clarified it even more, you know, just six or seven years ago after doing this work for so long, Mm -hmm. more layers of integration have happened and they will, they will continue. So please know you can do your money story work. Um, and it is a spiral and it does happen in layers and, you know, it's, it's really important to dive in there. Um, and you'll do a whole piece and be complete for a while. And then a whole new awareness of something will happen. Yeah. Yeah. I so appreciate you speaking to this piece around power and, Can you say more about that? Like, especially in the women and money conversation and with women coming more and more into economic power, like does money equal power from your perspective? No, no. Well, okay. Um, I mean, we put meaning on money, right? So simplest thing is it's a form of exchange that we've all agreed upon, but we know that that's not even true, you know, because there's so much inequality in Mm -hmm. how our systems have been set up. So that, you know, I just like proved that wrong, you know, so I can't, so then what is it, you know, and it's, um, there's layers to what money is. Um, but you know, I love reflective questions. I love journaling questions. I've, I've asked them since day one, when I created my little teeny workshops, I mean, worksheets that I would bring to my little workshops, you know, um, 
So I ask, like, what does money mean to you? You know, some people say money's the root of all evil. Money is power. Money is um, um, exchange. Money is our values. Money is fuel. Like people come up with all sorts of things. And that gives me and you information on, you know, what are your money beliefs and what is your money story and how has it been shaped? And, um, but money is a relationship for me that, you know, is positive and negative, can be good and bad, or, you know, it's how we work with it and how we use it. And I'm not talking about the system side. Um, I'm talking about it, you know, on the micro level of this is a really important relationship in our life. And I always liken it, I have many metaphors, but one's a garden. So it's like, this is an area of life. It's like a garden. It needs our attention and care and nurturance, but you don't want to overwater it, but you don't want to underwater it, but it needs, it has seasons, ebbs and flows, ups and, you know, so it's a relationship to form. And, um, you know, I did for many years equate money with power you know, and felt my father had power over me in a certain way. And I had to get out, you know, from underneath that and then figure out my own right relationship. Um, Is it a, you know, do I want to use money as power? No, you know. Um, So what, how do I use money? How do I interact with it? How can I use power? So, you know, power for me, that dynamic is over under. Um, and even, you know, a simple thing like in our, in our relationship, um, with my husband, uh, you know, we've always had a playful, um, com- competition of who's making more, <laughs> it's really is playful, you know, um, we would sit with our, you know, numbers at the end of the year before we had a child and be like, okay, you know, <laughs> do and, um, so it was always playful, but then there was a, a time where I was making more. And I had to really watch my own relationship to, do I now um, think that I have final say on everything because I'm making more, right? And yeah. Right? So we had to talk about that. Um, of course, no, you know, um, we both had to have our needs and wants and goals and the numbers on the table, you know, so, so power is sneaky, you know, but it was even coming up there. And, but I, I, I do like the word empower. I do like the word empowerment. Mm-hmm. I did feel hugely empowered when I started learning how to use a bookkeeping system and learning how to track my numbers and seeing what they were for the first time. You know, that was hugely empowering for me. Um, learning how to create a livelihood um, that is sustainable, where you are breaking through money ceilings is hugely empowering. But then, you know, at the same time, for me, it doesn't mean every year I'm, I'm, I'm asking this of myself or promoting that every year we earn more and we save more and we, I like donating more and giving more, but in a real long in a life in a long life, if we have the honor of having one, every year is not going to be that. Yeah. You know, some years we're um, just trying to live within our means. Some years we've in a huge transition. You know, there's a loss of a job. There's a new baby. There's you know, um, there's health issues. There's you know, 
and and we're living on some savings or we go get a zero percent credit card or so I'm kind of going off on a little bit of a tangent and I'll pause here because it for me it's all related it's like you know what does money mean to you I, I'm yeah. and I'm working on the micro level here right and I know we might get to the macro but so that on a micro level you know what is your relationship to money um, what qualities do you want to bring to it? You know, when I started, money was also dull, boring, dry, nothing, you know, just why would I have anything to do with this area of life, you know? And then I was like, oh, I need to add deeper meaning. I need to add creativity. I need to add savviness. I need to add playfulness, like all these other qualities I wanted to add to my relationship to money. Um, and so, you know, that's, part of how I was creating my methodology was all these other qualities that I loved in every other area of my life and these mindfulness practices and deeper meaning and creativity. I was like, I need to bring to money. So even how I teach people how to do money dates or, you know, light the candles, get out your oils, get out your chocolate, play your Beyonce or your, you know, uh, Beethoven or your, you know, heavy metal or like really, um, you know, whatever your music is, yeah, your Tori Amos, your, you know, Lauren Hill, like play your music, like add all these other things. And, and this is, and I'll complete here. So many people, when I, I share how I teach financial therapy, they say, I have a mindfulness practice. I never thought of bringing my mindfulness practice to my money or my relationship to money you know, and connect it with all these other practices and tools. Okay, it's that simple. And of course it's not, it's an ongoing practice, but even just getting that realization that yes, you can bring all these other qualities to your relationship to money um, and your mindfulness practice. It lights me up, honestly, Barry. And I, I wanna pull out a few things for the listener here. First of all, this thing is that, for you, money is a relationship. And I really, really want to put like gold stars, asterisks around that for the listener. Because for me, that again was how I came to love and respect and relate to as opposed to avoid money was by treating it like a relationship. And I think not across the board, but for so many of us as women, there's a lot of trauma you know, if it's something similar to what you're describing, where there was a, a, an unhealthy power dynamic or a disempowerment, um, or there could be all sorts of traumas there with money. But it's like when we embrace the money relationship as a lifelong relationship, that's where I found my empowerment. And so I, if anybody's listening and not feeling great about money in their lives, I just want to recommend that. And you speak so much to it in your book, The Art of Money, but I really want to recommend the, the shift in perspective. And then the other piece that I love that you're bringing is, is making it personal, you know? like, And I think you're just such an amazing teacher and role model in that way because, again, a generalization, but for most of us as women, it's been this thing that's been outside of us that other people have controlled or made feel really confusing or dry or boring. And you infuse it with all your very amazing qualities. And then you help other people to find what's going to get them excited to relate to money. And that, that feels like the, the biggest gift of all. And that's so important to me is that everyone finds their own way. You know, there's no one way. There's no one right way. 
I love teaching people to find their own intuition around money because there has been such a disconnection there, right? Or trauma there. Um, I mean, I even have lots of high earners who they rock at, you know, at bringing in revenue. They're so good at that. And we all have strengths and challenges around money. And so that's clearly a strength because for under earners, you know, uh, that's a whole challenge of, you know, that's a whole other thing to be working on. But for my high earners, I've seen so many of them where, they're bringing in the money and their, their whole thing is like, just bring in more, more money will solve everything, you know, and no, it doesn't. And you have to look at your numbers too. And even if you work with a financial team and work with a bookkeeper and accountant, like you have to have your hands in the numbers because those numbers are yours. Like it's, it's showing what your values are. It's showing what you're creating, you know, what work you're doing in the world. And, you know, and you, and you need to slow down. You need to slow down, you know, and check in. And the answer is not always making more, even though the people who have under earning, you know, um, stuff to work on, they're like, oh, I would love some of that. But again, we all have strengths and challenges to be working on in this area. And it is about creating a relationship. Yes, I'll stop there. It's so beautiful. And thank you for naming the strengths and challenges piece and that more money doesn't just fix the relationship with money. That's such a common cultural myth, right? That we have. And Barry, I'm wondering if you can speak to, because here you are now in this moment in time, you're, you're a successful entrepreneur, you're a mother, you're a wife, and you're at this, this moment of your career. But I know you've had so many iterations and shifts and changes and, how have you made those changes in your business when you've needed to? What has inspired you to do it? Yeah. Um, okay, good. And I want to make sure we get to Money Memoirs, the macro piece after this, okay? Yes, yes. Okay. So how have I made these? Okay. There's been, um, I started my work in 2001, right? So right? So all my 20s was training as a therapist, then had that detour, wasn't a detour, transition of learning bookkeeping and then running my own bookkeeping business. And while I was running a bookkeeping business, I was doing it for other therapists and coaches and artists and contractors. And I was, you know, ages of 28 to 32. So that was this huge transition where I wasn't ready to hold my shingle up as a therapist. I felt too young in some ways, but my God, did the other therapists and coaches throw their bookkeeping at me. Like they didn't want to have anything to do with their books. They had no idea I had a master's in psychology. They just threw their bookkeeping at me. I did it all, you know, on QuickBooks. And I learned so much about how people earn, um, how people spend, what their money patterns are and habits, um, how their values are represented, you know, and all the practical stuff of reporting and I love reports and I love QuickBooks. And so, you know, there was, there was that little phase. And then I stepped into, it was time to integrate all of my past training as a therapist with all those tools, with all the practical bookkeeping and systems and money management things that I was learning. And you know, had a mentor that helped me put them all together. Well, I was putting them all together. And she basically said, young lady, it's time for you to give a talk on your methodology. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and she was like, yes, it's time. you know. And so I, you know, wound up, 
you know, walking in the woods and saying, what am I supposed to bring back to my community? And that's when I came back to that 350 square foot cabin in the Redwoods with my boyfriend who, you know, Forrest, my husband of 20 years. And we, he threw up white, white paper and like helped me map out the three phases of my methodology that are the same 20 years later. You know, at the time they were financial therapy, values-based bookkeeping and life vision planning. And now they're money healing, money practices, money maps. And I used to call it conscious bookkeeping and I call it the art of money. So, you know, he was there and he's my namer. He was the one to term financial therapy. When he saw my work, he was like, oh, you're doing financial therapy. And I was like, now that's a name, you know, like that's it, you know. That's so cool. It's so cool. And so, and then the financial therapy association didn't get created until, you know, years later, you know, um, that I'm connected with, but not part of, because, you know, I've, I've been calling myself this since my husband came up with the name, you know, in 2001. So there have been five or six different business models over the last 20 years. And I'm coming up in 20 years this fall. Um, and they all have been created out of um, the deep listening, the somatic practice, which is, you know, just in, it, it, it's instilled in me, you know, that I learned early on in my training. And, and then I create my method. I created my methodology from my business, from how I parent um, how relationships, you know, it all comes from this deep listening place. And so um, I'll name a few of the transitions just to highlight how they've happened. Um, so, you know, let's see, uh, uh, briefly, uh, you know, at the beginning it was me, I was doing the QuickBooks training. Um, I was doing financial therapy sessions with couples in my living room. Um, uh, you know, I was doing bookkeeping, you know, and then I started switching over to just doing my groups and I was teaching my methodology to 10 people at a time um, over and over and over with my little handouts, you know, my initial questions. I even remember like my first set of questions were, um, you know, like I, I had them go into their money history, like night one, you know, day one. And I realized pretty quickly, too furious, too fast, you know, body check-in was, you know, happened really quickly, like stop and pause and check in with your body, you yeah. know, physical sensation, emotional breathing level, do that before all money interactions before, during, after, you know. So anyway, I, I was, was teaching my work um, in these small groups. Every six weeks, I'd start a new one. And then I just remember that transition. I did that for a couple of years. And then I was, you know, I was in California and I was driving to San Francisco one night to teach a class and then Berkeley the next night and then Marin the next night. And then I started telecourses a fourth night. So I was teaching four classes a week, driving all around, you know, and I just remember like I was living in an apple orchard and feeling someone's eating all the apples off my tree. That was my metaphor. Someone's eating all that, like all, all my apples are being eaten. I just, you know, and, and I always come back to this equation, even though it's not like an exact, this percentage here or there, it's, in no particular order, money, time, energy, family, and health, now giving. So again, it's not like 10% here, 15%, you know, I don't do it that way. It's more, 
on a body level, that's how I make my decisions. And so someone, my, all my apples were being eaten, you know, <laughs> what, like then, then I start asking questions. So whenever I'm in like a transition place or stuck place, or it's not working what I'm doing, you know, it was working for a while. And then all of a sudden that business model is not working anymore. I start asking new questions and I, and I just write, write them out or I, I take them on hikes with me or I bring them in the shower with me, you know, journal about them. And the questions were like, how do I, you know, yes. How do I go to the next level? What kind of support do I need? Um, how can my, yeah, basically how can my revenue increase? Um, how can I be more generous with my work? And I'm always asking a set of those questions. I decided to create a board of directors. I was a sole proprietor, you know, and I just gathered. I asked people in the community that were older than me, further down the road, had more business experience if they would meet with me. Um, I, I love that. It's so like creative and all the chutzpah, you know, just really bold. I, I get, yes. And they all said yes, you know. <laughs> And in that time, in that six months that we met, I started having women coming to me saying, um, can I be on your team, Barry? I'm, you know, I work in the corporate world. I'm in corporate accounting and I'm doing this yoga teacher training on the side, or I'm getting my master's in psychology and I'm putting myself through by doing bookkeeping. And, you know, I started getting tons of women asking, and I was like, at first I was like, what team are you talking about? You know, and then pretty quickly I was like, oh, my team, you know, and I created a team of bookkeeping trainers and financial coaches under my umbrella. And I would go give them inspirational talks of my, what my methodology was anywhere and everywhere, every yoga studio I could find. And I would hang up flyers and people would come. I would get 50 people, you know, sometimes I would get four people, you know, mm -hmm. and then 50. I, I gave talks at every Whole Foods, every Pharmaca, or it was a, you know, like I gave my free hour and a half, two hour talk everywhere. And then I would say, get on my list. Here's my clipboard. <laughs> and then, oh, you need to work with my bookkeeping trainer. She'll show you how to use QuickBooks. Mm -hmm. Here's my financial coach. And I got a percentage of that and gave them a really large percentage. I think it was, um, was it 70, 30, something like that? They got 70%. I got 30. Mm -hmm. um, we all agreed on that. They loved it. And I had been working with a mentor who I learned really quickly was not my mentor. And I learned everything I would never do. Mm -hmm. And she did this, the opposite split. She gave her coaches underneath her 30% and she kept 70. Mm -hmm. And I thought, that sucks. That's awful, you know, not doing that. So in that next few years, I wound up having this wonderful team of women. Um, and then a business partner came. And so, you know, moved into higher level of revenue, um, got to do what I loved more, you know, and that that business model worked for almost four years. Yeah. It was fabulous. Then I woke up in my 38th year and after 38 years of really knowing and feeling that I was not going to be a mom, that it wasn't my path. Um, I woke up and changed my mind. Wow. Like I literally woke up. I, you know what I missed? I didn't miss a cycle, but I was a few days late. And then I remember going to the bathroom and seeing the blood and thinking, wow, I'm actually sad. Yeah. And it surprised the hell out of me. Mm -hmm. 
And then that year, I just started dropping hints to my husband. We had been together seven years and we signed the, we're not going to have kids on the invisible line. (laughs) And anyway, um, that's a whole other story, but it does lead to the next business model, next two, which I think are important, then I'll complete here. And this reveals how I shift each time, you know? And so, so then um, I get pregnant. And my business partner sends me a 300-page calendar um, to, like, you know, get my shit together. Like, you know, like, get organized. And, I'm okay, what I didn't reveal is I'm, I threw up terribly the first four months, you know. Oh. I, I, in the mail, I'm thinking I'm getting this fabulous gift from my business partner, and I got a 300, you know, like a 20-pound <laughs> calendar. Congratulations <laughs> on your pregnancy. <laughs> Totally. This is four months and like here, you know, you need to get your shit together. And, you know, it's pretty clear, like something was changing. Like I, you know, I was throwing up every day. Something was clearly changing in my body, growing in my body. I was starting to get hints. I wanted to keep going with our business model. It was working. I even flew out to California, five months pregnant, six months pregnant, with, you know, gave, gave full day workshops, you know, to a hundred people with a, you know, a sign on my belly, Noah's inside, you know? And then I had a big complication in my labor that I write about in the book. And thank God we got to the other side of that. Baby Noah healthy, me healthy for the most part. But after that, everything changed. And, you know, uh, you, you don't know. You don't know once you, you don't know what's going to happen once you cross, cross the threshold. And I had seen so many other women who had like set up their whole businesses that they were going to have guest blog posts, you know, after they had baby and they would just keep their business going. And I thought I'd do a version of that. And then once we got to the other side, it was so clear that I needed to recover. Um, I and and I all I wanted to do was be with my son. You know, I was just four months shy of my 40th birthday. And again, I'm left with, wow, this is not working. It was it was working. It was a great business model, you know, for its time. And now I need to ask new questions again. So, you know, before I was working 40, 50, 60 hours a week because I was in my 30s and had tons of energy and, yeah. and loved it, you know, and was driving everywhere. And now I need to stay home and recover. And what can I do in 10 hours a week? Um, while I'm recovering and crazily sleep deprived with my crazy bun. I have one on now too. And what can I do that makes me the most money in those 10 hours that I'm the best at and love doing the most? Mm -hmm. And my answer was my group programs. Um, And I did two of them that year and had about 40 to 50 people in them. And I simplified, I got rid of my entire team. Business partner and I parted ways really well. I still refer to her and, um, you know, for the next few years was in a, what can I do in 10 hours? And as my son started going, you know, is as we started sleeping and I fully recovered, then it moved into a few more hours and then he's in preschool, you know, and, and then, but, it, but I, we, comp- I had to completely simplify. And so we went from, you know, having a whole team, high revenue to, I am intentionally 
downsizing. I'm intentionally simplifying, which goes against like everything that is said in the industry, yes. you know, in the coaching, th- online, anything. Um, and then to complete, you know, it took, and I had to, in that transition, have all these talks with myself. Like, this is not going to be forever, right? This is what's happening now. We're in a transition. Priority is being a mama and my health, you know, and yeah, simplify everything, you know, and making, I was earning a lot less at that time. And then to complete, (laughs) you know, can I just pause you there, Barry, because, and I want to hear the last, you know, chapter as it stands now, but to me, this is where you are such a profound role model. And I want people who are listening to get this is that the way that you have respected yourself as a woman, as a human, and as some, like all of us, we go through these changes and these cycles and whether we're entrepreneurs or um, having children working, doing unpaid work at home or in workplaces, it's like we have to value and respect ourselves enough to make room for the changes. And that's where it comes back to the relationship with money. It's like, if we don't have the relationship with ourselves in that department of our lives, we just keep barreling ahead and we don't even realize we need something different. I'm so happy you paused me there um, because I can tell the rest of my story or not. You know, it's there's two more chapters, but I, I really want to pause here with you um, because this is so important. Is it, And it goes back to honoring that equation of money, time, energy, family, health again. And... Um, daring, being brave enough to, you know, listen, to change course, to do things differently than how a lot of my colleagues were doing, you know, they just soldiered on, you know, and they're different. We're all different. You know, this is where I, you know, my son was probably three or four months old. I was in bed and I got a call from another mom. It was her second baby. She was calling me from the hospital. She had just given birth to her second baby and she was starting up a really big um, new business. And she wanted to see if I wanted to be involved. And I was like, oh my God, you, know, like, you are a different creature. You are different. Yes. We're friends and colleagues. And we've, you know, um, we've talked about this over the years. And I mean, this is Amanda Steinberg. So I can just say who it is. You know, she went on to create Daily Worth, which was, you know, an enormous finance blog, you know, but I sat there in my bed going, okay, she is she, I am me, you know, we are really different and that's okay. And I am very sensitive. I need to have a certain pacing. Um, You know, I was once invited to a mastermind and I joined for a month or so, but I was always hesitant because the pace of these women and how they were growing and what they would do online was so different than me and so much faster. And I bowed out as gracefully as I could and then joined a group of women that were older moms um, that, you know, had a different pacing. And, yes. and that that's, that's like, it's one of my biggest teachings. It's so important to me to listen to. We hit milestones at different points um, in our lives and pacing and rhythm were all so different and we really have to honor or I really have to honor what's right for me and that's what I've done in all of these transitions and business model shifts you know it's always been what's the right equation there and some years it's yeah let's grow (laughs) and other years it's not yeah yeah Yeah. thank you thank you that it feels 
like such a critical piece. And I would love to hear about whatever you want to share about either where you are now or the other chapters that seem relevant. Um, so, um, where I am now is, you know, eight, eight or nine years after, right? So, um, no, well, my son's 12, so it's, <laughs> but really when my son turned three is when another shift happened, you know, my son started sleeping through the night, um, at, yeah. And I was like, oh my God, I'm ready to grow again. Yes. You know, and then I asked my set of questions like, you know, how can I, because I, at the time I had a three month program and a home study. It was a three month coaching program. And I was really pulling teeth to get 40 to 50 students in each of my programs. So again, I was like, okay, what was working is not working anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's start, let's ask a new set of questions. So my new set of questions were really, how can I grow my community? At the same time, how can I be even more generous with my content? Um, Yeah, how can I uh, do it in a more feminine way so it feels more like an open instead of like push, 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 you know, struggle. And that's when I decided to go from a three-month program, you know, after teaching weekend workshops, six weeks, three months, I even did six months to it's time to do a year, you know, that really this work needs um, a year long time frame to learn the entire framework of the money healing, money practices, money maps to go through each of them four months at a time. It needed a community, a larger one. You know, I was always teaching in groups rather than private therapy. I always Day one groups were my thing, um, and and yes, I, lo- I I used to love teaching live, but I really do love online because I yeah. can home. Um, and um, so I decided the answer to a lot of those questions. It's all an experiment, right? Was to try out a year long program. I had the relationships with all these colleagues and other financial planners or coaches or somatic therapists. I reached out to all of them and said, will you be guest teachers? You know, um, and it happened really quickly because we were in a cash flow dip. And we were even considering, so my son was three, right? This is eight years ago. Um, anyway, well, I'm not doing the math in my head, right? Um, we were considering moving to St. Louis to live with my in-laws for a little bit because my husband was also in a transition in his business. So we were sitting in St. Louis, grandparents on, you know, grandparent duty with our three-year-old. And we were contemplating, like, if, you know, we want to save more, we, it's time to, you know, shift here. Maybe we stay with them. And my husband was absolutely not. Are we moving in with <laughs> and you know this doesn't always work out but the year-long program idea came to me we opened it in January and we reduced my price point a little bit overall it was more because it was a year but what we were it was $88 a month you know compared to like $700 for three months you know mm-hmm. um so it made it more reasonable for more folks and we got 320 students mm in that first opening and you know after pulling teeth for 40 to 50 we really opened it up where the content was way more generous um way more support because i you know i had all these guest teachers and so on and 
revenue increased in a huge way, community increased, you know. So then I did that for seven years. <laughs> and that was wow. wow. You know, and I th- and this is what's so interesting because like that I guess that was the longest run mm-hmm. of my business models. And every year grew a little and the community grew and I fine-tune the curriculum and the worksheets and you know every year and do new, you know, always fine-tuning. And then to complete the story to get us to current is that last year when um, COVID hit in January and February, I did a launch and we got about 120 students less than before. So we were at about 500 students and we got overall total 360, still an amazing community. Um, And it was 120 students less. and so. You know, I think for many, some, well, I know a lot of businesses that had their best year ever last year, a lot of colleagues, and then many folks who their businesses, like the entire field disappeared, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and then other folks that were kind of in the middle, like me, where there was a big shift, there was a big cash flow dip that happened. And I sat with it and I started cooking. <laughs> there's a connection here. I started, you know, I was like, either I'm going to freak out you know, or I'm gonna like sit with this for a while and feel into what the pandemic is because it took me down and many of us. And I started cooking and and getting really creative. I was never a a chef, you know, and started cooking and baking in my kitchen. And that was like how I was being creative. And then I started asking new set of questions. So everyone who's listening can hear, like there's a pattern here. Yeah. Um, Create in a business model, it's an experiment, you know, um, a set of services, offices, uh, offerings, a program, you know, that I want to give to the world, see how it goes, see how it's received, fine tune it over and over and over. And um, it's going to work for a while. And then guess what? There's going to be a curveball. Life's going to happen. There's going to be a pandemic. There's, you know, things are going to happen or you're going to change, right? You're going to get pregnant or pregnant or you're going to have a health crisis or, you know, or, or, right. And so then there's a shift, but then you can, you know, go deep inside yourself or go on your walks or take it to the shower, your baths, baths are great, you know, Mm -hmm. meditation cushion, take it to your yoga practice and start to ask some new questions that you've never asked before. Um, how can this be different? How can I add in more of this? How can I add in more of this quality? And then see what comes to you and adjust and fine tune, you know, and what we decided to shift last year was, um, you know, um, three things in the past we would, uh, I had a couple's pricing and my couple's pricing was for anyone who is in a romantic relationship and it could be, you know, any configuration, we had a poly pod of women, <laughs> a queer poly pod that came to us and asked if, you know, they could get the couple's pricing. And we said, of course, you mm-hmm. know, but we I decided after seven or eight years that it was time to open that up to anybody that you want to do the art of money work with. So uh, your mom, your child, your adult, you know, your 22 year old, your 25 year old, your 30 year old adult children. So mom, daughter configurations, mother, son, best friends across the world who haven't been, you know, we haven't been able to travel and see each other. We're having, so 
we changed it to you can join at buddy pricing and it's a discount pricing like the couples um, and much more reasonable to join. Mm-hmm. So that's something we shifted and tons of people are coming in with, um, you know, uh, their best friend and their cousin now. And then the second thing is that we have 14 alumni guides. And so these are alumni who've taken my program at least once, but sometimes some of them like five or six times they've been with me you know, for the last, since I started my year long program and one, even like when I used to do conscious bookkeeping workshops. So these, there's 13 women, one man, they've been with me for years. They're not done with their money work. I'm not done with my money work. Right. And they're in the community supporting. Um, And then the last thing is that after launching for, you know, basically 20 years, you know, even when I was filling 10 person classes, you still had to launch, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, we've shifted it from a launch model to an evergreen model. Um, so it's the same exact content. You sign up, you get it delivered, you know, you get the first model m- module and then you get 12 modules over a year. You get weekly love notes every week. You get access to all the community components, calls with me, right? The forum and the alumni guides. So we've shifted how we're, our, the business model again, yeah. which means, you know, shifting the energy of it because I wanted, I needed to stop launching. Um, and so those are the three big major shifts that I put into place. And the community is growing again yeah. um, for many reasons, but mostly because they're getting to do it with a body that they feel safe with and that the, you know, people are bringing, you know, a support person, an accountability person to the, to the community. Yeah. I mean, it just sounds like such a win-win. And again, so many kudos and respect to you, Barry, about how you listen and you tune in and it, and everything feels so in alignment and in integrity when you talk about your business, because it's like your whole thing is about the relationship to money and how money shows up in all these other areas of our lives. So to have people be able to have their buddy makes so much sense. And to have the community forum, I don't think any of us should be working on our money relationships alone. I, you know, I, I, some people do, you mm-hmm. know, just feel so much shame. We didn't even talk about money emotions or, you yes. know, it's okay. I have tons of free content about that every, you know, everywhere on my site and in my book. Um, but, you know, some people do come and want to do it alone in their own corner and just like peek into the community, you know, yeah. and then other people do that for a little while and they're like, okay, I get that I'm not alone, but I really want to know that I'm not alone. And I really want a partner or buddy mm-hmm. to do this with. And they start craving that. And, and if you don't come in with a buddy, a lot of people partner up and buddy in the group. Like if they come in solo, yeah. that whole little area of like, find a buddy, you know? Um, so yes. Beautiful. Yeah. And I'll make sure to have all the links, but Barry, where can people find out about your program? Where can they sign up if they're interested? Yeah. So please come to barrytesler.com and one, no, there's tons of free content from my blog to my podcast to a little seven day intro. If you want to get an art of money taste and understand the three phases that I talked about, money healing, money practices, money maps. Um, for those of you that, you know, enjoy a lot of the free content and then, then know you're ready to be a part of, you know, the community and longer program, there's a program page and we explain the art of money curriculum program, what you get, all of it, like in so much detail, you know, and a whole FAQ 
section as well. I think we answer every single question that's ever been asked. So please go there, read the Art of Money program page and, um, you know, jump in as you are ready. Beautiful. Thank you so much. I wanted to ask you, Barry, how you are working in yourself and also in your community around so many of the social justice issues that we're facing as a country here in the U.S., particularly because so many of those issues centralize around vast economic disparities? Such a good question. Okay, so for me, my personal work around this and my business work around this started in 2013. And the way it started was that I created my very first money memoir series. And I was really ambitious. I would never do this now in this way. I wanted to put out one money memoir every day for a month. Wow, that is really ambitious. As a podcaster now, I'm like, that's crazy. (laughs) I mean, some of them were video, some of them were audio, and some of them were written. So, okay, but still, okay, so I reached out to tons of people that I knew or had some level of connection with, and I was aware that I was wanting it to be diverse. I don't think I had the word inclusive you know, in my vocabulary at that time, but I was wanting the community to be diverse, as diverse as possible. Um, And the final group of people, the 33 folks that did it, um, there was certainly age diversity and there were some men and I thought, oh, I'm bringing in men, which is so funny because so much of my stuff is about women that I was like, okay, that adds some diversity, which is kind of funny, you know, (laughs) And there was a lot of Jewish women because I'm Jewish. And, but at the end of the day, there was a few women of color, but it was predominantly white folks in my first money memoir series. And I remember looking at, you know, all the beautiful faces and, and um, it, it was a wake up call for me in my own self. No one called me out. No one called me in. This was 2013. Um, But I looked at that and said, I can do better. This is not right. I, this is not the world that I want to be living in. Um, And so I don't know if I would, I would, I, I, when I say, I don't know if I would say I can do better. I, but that was, that's, I remember that was some of my thinking back then. Um, And really, this is not the world that I want to see. This is not the world that I want to be living in. And and so it was a wake-up call for me. And so ever since then, all guest teachers, um, all my Money Memoir series has been more diverse and more inclusive over the years. Now, Money Memoirs itself is one of the ways that I get at the macro side of money. It's one way. It's through the lens of storytelling. And I love storytelling. You know, I am reading nonfiction for the very first time in years, but I mostly read fiction, novels, and memoirs. That's how I learn, through stories. I put myself in the shoes of someone else. And so Money Memoirs is an interview series where I interview folks from all different lineages, economic backgrounds, 
income levels now. And I asked them a series of questions about their relationship to money from the emotional, psychological to the practical. So I interviewed, you know, and everyone tells their story and shares who they are. You know, one woman um, comes from a Jamaican American family. Um, another man came from, um, he identified himself as, you know, a black man from the South. And so everyone shares like, yes, how they identify, um, what's important to them. Um, and they tell their story and the beauty of their story, the challenge of their story. So that's one way that I've been working on. Um, the macro side of money is through storytelling um, and asking people to bravely share, you know, where they come from and what they've learned and what they've had to overcome and all, you know, all of it, triumphs, tribulations, you know, the whole thing. Um, and it's women from all different backgrounds, right? Um, mostly women, some men, some men are in there too. Okay. And so that's one way that I've been addressing it. So it's not head, it wasn't head on, um, but it was a way for people from all different backgrounds to share their stories and to share, yeah, where they've come from. And then that, that's one thing that I've been doing since 2013. And then a few years ago, I decided to, to address it a little more head on. And I started interviewing some women, um, one woman, Sandra Davis, I met years ago at a financial planning conference, and she tells her story of how she was the only woman of color in that room. There weren't that many women in the room, but she was the only woman of color. Mm -hmm. um, and her and I connected over chocolate um, because I got off the airplane with chocolate all over my white pants because my chocolate <laughs> <laughs> as I was flying and she, you know, she thought that was hysterical. Anyway, so we, we've, we connected in 2004 or something, you know, so I reached, I, so I reached out to her and she does incredible work in the black community. Um, the whole interview was about the wealth gap and what she's doing for her community and also how she's bringing um, financial planning to the black community. And so that was more of like a head on where, you know, this is how this is how this amazing black woman is doing work in her community and how she's doing it. I interviewed Rachel Roby Ashadi, who um, coined the term social justice investing, which when I heard that, you know, three years ago blew me away. I was like, whoa, you know, what is that? Because I've been, you know, aware of socially responsible investing, you know, since I began 20 years ago. So what's this? So um, she talks about how her firm does social justice investing, and it's incredible. And she shares what she does. She's um, in her 40s. So I consider her young. I'm in my 50s, but she's, I mean, she's just a powerhouse to be in her 40s to have a financial planning firm. And she is a queer Black woman and shares her story, her personal story, and then also about social justice investing. So that's a little bit about the, there's so much more, you know, and there's so many different layers of, you know, how do I do my own social justice work, um, which I'm doing, um, and how do I do, part of how I do that is by reading, that's that's part of it. 
um, and sharing those books. But again, everything I'm saying, it's not just one of these things. And I'm not saying like, oh, I do this and this and this to say, this is how great I am. And so addressing, it's like, there are layers of social justice work that I did not become aware of until around 2013 in my business. And it came through, you know, doing that series and realizing it was a pretty white series. Um, And so have since then have been doing work in many different ways behind the scenes, mostly. Um, I, I, you know, I, I share this on social media, but I usually like to say, hey, go to my money memoirs series so you can hear people's stories from all different backgrounds and they'll tell you their story, um, their successes and challenges as, you know, a Jamaican American woman living in New York and being a financial coach. Right. And they'll tell you their story. And and that's I'm so grateful for their stories, you know, and then these other interviews that I do that are my podcast are in my program. And I have a whole um, that people can go to. It's a macro resource page on my website. If you just Google Barry Tesler macro resources, and it's all the resources that I'm studying, mm-hmm. you know, from um, Ta-Nehisi Coates, um, you know, talking about reparations. Yeah. Um, and he, he does an incredible like two hour piece in the Atlantic. And so all of the things that I'm finding and studying, um, I put them on this page and then it connects with a lot of other um, financial planners um, that are people of color and so on. So that's a little bit um, of what I'm doing and how I'm addressing this. I mean, there's a whole other piece of me being a white woman and I'm a Jewish woman. Mm-hmm. And so being a Jewish woman um, has has overshadowed being a white woman for me because I was more focused on being a Jewish woman and what that meant and if I wanted to be visible and how to show up. Um, but also that I could hide that and people yeah. can know that, you know, and so I've had, so I'm doing a lot of work about, yes, I'm white and have an incredible amount of privilege. And yes, I'm Jewish. Um, and all that that means in our world um, today and with our history. So that's a little bit about how I'm addressing it um, and will continue to. And um, the last thing is one of the teams that I've brought on. Um, it's a team of, of uh, copywriters and um, um, they do marketing and all of that. And their team is steeped in social justice. And so you know, even in the new copy that's being created and discussions that we're having behind the scenes, there's more work there as well. Barry, thank you so much for sharing so openly with us. And and I wouldn't say that's a little. I mean, I just feel like the fact that you're addressing it inside your own psychology, but also at these different levels of your, your public leadership and work, and then even your team, you know, it it feels inspiring to me as a business owner about where can I bring this in even more. And I also appreciate the storytelling lens. As you know, that's why I started this podcast because I love storytelling too. And I feel like for women, it's so important that we are giving voice to our own stories. And I'm not a person of color, but that's my imagination as well, is that for people of color, they need to be giving voice to their own stories. And that is part of how we humanize each other and stop doing as much othering and start understanding more and and crossing these bridges of difference. So 
I'm excited to check out your money memoirs. And I just, I really appreciate that you're stepping up to the plate and doing things on this level. Thank you. Thank you. And I do want to tell you one more thing and then we'll be complete. Is how I'm passing this on to my son, who's 12, as I've mentioned. And yes, we have lots of conversations about race in our family over the dinner table or a lot for him. It's before bed. That's when he wants to reveal all, you know, and talk about it. I know that's really common. But now that we're homeschooling him, I'm on the lead curriculum for the books that he's reading. And he loves fiction. So he loves novels and he loves mythology. And so I um, got a hold of a few YA novels written by women of color. And um, and then I got a whole list of books by, you know, that are YA novels that have, they're by women of color and they have mythology in them. So they're about Orisha mythology from Africa. They're about Indian mythology. And one of the women is in my community. She's an author. I think it's called Star Daughter. And um, she um, grew up in the Midwest, um, family immigrated from India. And she tells her story as an Indian brown girl, the story she wished she heard as a girl growing up and, you know, as a preteen. And so as my son is now a preteen, you know, I'm introducing him to stories, um, you know, that are women of color and it's about their journey and it's also about their mythology from their lineage. And that's one of the things that I'm on point with in our son's curriculum. And so I'm passing it down to him and he's loving these books so much. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I, I've been in charge of our daughter's books and I just want to name, do you know Conscious Kid? I do on Instagram. I'm following them. Okay. Yeah. So for anybody listening, that is where I've been finding all of our, she's a toddler, so much younger than your son, but um, it feels so good to be bringing those books and images and stories from cultures other than ours and races other than ours into our home. Um, We're not ready to have the more explicit conversations, you know, that you guys are at yet, but it, it does feel like one small action on, on the very personal home front that is uh, powerful. Yes. One small action amongst many. Yeah. Yeah. I love really just learning and hearing so much of your process, Barry. Thank you. Yeah. So Barry, I know we're, we're at time here and I I feel like I could just talk to you forever. There's, I'm so impacted by how this work lives through you. I want to just reflect that to you, that it's, you make me excited about money and I'm already excited about money, but you make me even more excited to go even deeper into my relationship with money, my money consciousness. And, um, so thank you for just holding the, the role modeling and the embodiment of that for us. And I'm wondering if you would be willing, this is a big piece of your work that I love around celebrating. And it's celebrating is something that I really value in my work because I feel like we don't do it enough as women. And so I'm wondering if you would be willing to celebrate something with us that you feel proud of that's, you know, current in your money relationship. Oh, let's see. Um... I love, okay, so this is, this is so good because this is one of my teachings too, but you're asking me to, 
do it. <laughs> You're asking me to live it this moment. I'm thinking like, what is the biggest edge right now? Um, why? There's so many that are, there's so many that are coming to me and there are none. So that's what's happening is that um, I think the biggest money thing, and it's related to what I was just talking about, is that, you know, last year in that dip, and dips happen, you know, even in like once you create a sustainable business model, right, as I've already, you know, shared in so many ways, like it works for a while and then things change. So I think that when that dip happened, um, in the past, I think it really would have been upsetting to me. And I, I certainly, um, to be really honest, like I would start questioning my work in the world, my value, my work, you know, in the past, that's what I, I would go down a rabbit hole of that. And one of my threads for years is like, what, you know, how do I know my value? How do I claim it? How do I feel it in my body? Right. And none of these are done. Again, I'm not like, I know my value. I've claimed it, you know. But so when this happened last year, overall, I felt, I did feel a lot more gentleness um, and compassion and gave myself space um, to really sit with it. Um, and not go deep into what's the matter? Is my work needed in the world? You know, um, and I, what I'm really proud of, what I really want to celebrate is that I came up with creative ideas. Like I even went to my husband, I was like, I came up with an idea, didn't I? You know, about the buddy thing and about the alumni guides. He's like, yes, that was you, honey. You know, <laughs> you know, him and I bounce off so many things together. I'm like, that was really me before I was falling asleep and the idea came to me or on a walk. And I think, okay, be, being in perimenopause, you know, being at this age, like memory, everything is shifting. And I, I had moments where I could not remember the exact moment when I came up with that new creative idea, where in the past I could track everything. So I had to remember that, yes, I did come up with those ideas. And I want to celebrate that um, and then celebrate that as we've, you know, implemented them that people are so happy about it and it's working and that it's growing the community and the community is feeling less alone and um uh they're feeling more supported you know all these things and that yes it did increase revenue as well but for me it's always going to be connected with these other things as well so beautiful. And I celebrate you because what a win, 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 like, especially in the chaos of what the last year has been to have people more empowered, more connected, more supported in their money relationships, and also with other humans just connected. And that, you know, the community is growing and revenue has, you know, gone up again from the dip. It's like, that's a beautiful ecosystem right there where everyone's getting needs met and taken care of. And, and again, that, that just speaks to you and who you are as an entrepreneur and a leader. Okay, so last thing, if you could send any message to women out there about their financial lives, what would you most want them to hear? I think I've already said it in so many different ways. Um, but it is about, um, you know, I would say if you were going to ask me what's one tool, I would say the body check-in, you know. So so as a woman, um, please start practicing the body check-in and 
listening to what's happening in your body in a physical level, sensation level, emotional level, breathing level, and all of these different money interactions when you're going to go have a money conversation with your spouse, with your parents, with your kids, when you're going to go determine your fees, when you're going to go do online shopping, when you're going to, you know, when you're creating your business model, when you're going to look at your numbers, when you're buying a car, you know. So I would say please incorporate that into your daily money interactions and to your daily practice. And that, you know, that not only helps you bring awareness and more understanding to what's going on and to what your money story is, but it really teaches you how to listen to your rhythm and your intuition. And those two things are so important to me for anyone, um, but certainly women and money. And that leads to moving into you know, creating a successful, savvy, creative, um, well, empowered relationship to money. Thank you so much, Barry. Thank you so much for listening to the Women Today podcast. If you liked this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and take a moment to leave a rating and a review. The more five-star ratings this podcast gets, the more easily women around the world will be able to access this valuable information. Remember, we each have our unique role to play in this collective uprising for women all over the world. Whoever you are and wherever you find yourself in this moment, there is a deep intelligence to your particular place in the wider web, and we need the specific experiences, insights, and gifts that only you carry. I am sending you my heartfelt strength and support for wherever you are on the journey, and I'll look forward to connecting again next week.